Please turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The reason why we didn't have a scripture reading is not only because of the baby dedication, but because we're going to be reading um, a lengthy text this morning. Uh, and we're going to, to be spending time kind of uh, pulling out from that text. And so 1 Corinthians 12, before I read, there's, there's a, little, a couple things you need to know about that. Remember, 1 Corinthians 12 was written in the first century by the Apostle Paul. And, and just like in Acts chapter 8 on Wednesday night, uh, when the Ethiopian eunuch was sitting there with Philip and told him to tell him Jesus from the scriptures. Uh, they didn't have the full scriptures in the first century. The New Testament wasn't completed. In fact, the receivers of this book, this letter, wouldn't have even had a book, a single book of the New Testament. So when we read, you're going to notice there are things that we refer to as uh, revelatory gifts in which the word of God came to the people by the way of prophecy, by other known languages, and even in tongues of a foreign language. And then, then there, there needed to be special gifts at that time of, of discernment to determine what was said or prophesied or spoken were true or not. So keep in mind that the setting's a little bit different than ours that we have today because we have completed scripture. So while the applications might be different, the principles that are found here are very much the same. So when you think of it that way, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians becomes quite an illuminating way to look at church life. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12 is part of a three-part unit. Chapter 13, as you know, is the love chapter, as it's often referred to. Chapter 14 is uh, on conduct and worship, how to behave in a worship service. And so uh, that's a three-part uh, series here that starts in verse 12. And so let's do this. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12. And I won't ask you to stand this morning. Usually as a church, we stand to honor the reverence of the fact that God has spoken completely, finally, utterly in his word. And yet this is a long chapter. So I'm going to ask you to be reverent in your hearts towards the word of God and acknowledging that this is his word, but you won't have to stand uh, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read the text together. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ." For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. 
And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I've got no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much uh, more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, given abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Verse 27, this is a key text in our series coming up. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent Way. First Baptist Church of Greg Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord and pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you for this day. You are the great head and cornerstone of the church. Father, we pray that you would now grant us the spirit as we've heard of his work in the text. Would you grant now your spirit in our midst this morning? That we would learn how your spirit works in the midst of your church to be a visible display of Christ in the world. And whatever else happens as a result of of this series, Father, I just pray that we might be able to say with praise to you and reverence that I am a church member. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen, thank you. 1 Corinthians 12. Well, if you remember, our theme for the year that we started back in January is the theme of worship. And we've talked on several occasions about how we're gonna tackle this theme. We're gonna do it in three ways. We started at the beginning of the year in January. We're thinking about worshiping up. What does it mean for a people of God to worship God for who he is? And we saw our definition of worship as this. It should be on the screen for you. That worship is communion with God in which believers by grace center their mind's attention and their heart's affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying him in response to his greatness and his word. And now we are in March. And now we're going to examine what it looks like for us as a church to worship in, worship together. What does it look like for us as a church family to worship together? And as Justin and I thought about this, I thought about how many very fine, committed Christians we have in our church. We have a lot of what you would call in the culture church people here. Through their service in the church, the love for the church, their, their prayers for the church, the way they function. And as I thought about that and I dwelled that on that, I decided that it would be good for us to do just maybe a brief series, a three-part series, in which I'm borrowing from a book, a title of, of Mr. Tom Rayner, I Am a Church Member. If you ever read that book, by the way, it's about 
this thick. It's wonderful. None of that book has to do with our sermon series, but I would encourage you to read it. I just stole the name because I thought it was good. Uh, So I want you to encourage you to read that book, but this is our, our sermon series we're beginning. I am a church member. And our text, as I said, is 1 Corinthians 12, but specifically that verse in verse 27. I'm gonna be referring to the entire chapter this morning, at least implicitly, though there are things from this whole chapter I think are important. But 1 Corinthians 12, 27, to the church of Corinth, the southern area of Greece, he isn't talking here about all Christians around the world, he's talking to this particular local church in the city of Corinth, and look what he says in verse 27. Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. I want to submit to you that that this is really probably the most remarkable statement about the church in the whole New Testament. This tiny little verse hidden in 1 Corinthians 12. You are Christ's body and individually members of it. One of another. It really is a remarkable statement. And here's what we're going to do for the next three weeks. I don't know how far I'm going to get to this today. I'm going to aim to do point one of a, of a long three-week sermon. But at least for today, we're going to look at this morning something for review and revival. Something for review and revival. And if you don't catch all of these right now, don't worry. We're coming back to them uh, uh, throughout the service and throughout the couple weeks. Number one, something for review and revival Number two is going to be something of for reflection and reverence. I'm going to anticipate this, that by the end of this sermon, when you say the words, I am a church member, there should be the same type of reverence in you that it's like God saying to Moses, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. It's that serious. Church membership is that serious and should be that reverent for us in the church. And then number three, some things for renewal and recommitment. Some things for renewal and recommitment. And so number one, as far as we'll get this morning, we're going to look again at something for review and revival. And I think this is important. And the reason I think this is important is because you're maybe in a couple boats. Maybe you're not actively engaged in church. Maybe you go to church, you you sit down, you're part of the service, you've never committed to a local church, you get up, you leave, you go home, and you think that you're part of the local church. There's a difference between that, okay? Secondly, maybe you've been in church your whole life, you've been committed to this church for a really long time, but you've never taken the step to join together with the church, Maybe you think you're part of the invisible church and that's all that matters. Or maybe you're not a Christian this morning and you have no idea of anything that I'm talking about whatsoever. All of this is going to apply to you and be helpful. So today, what we'd like to start with is a bit of review and a bit of uh, renewal. And I am finding that people will come and genuinely profess faith in Christ, but they aren't members of any church, as I've said. And, And in fact, there are in many cases people who attend churches that don't even have one stated membership in their law or doctrine as a church. In fact, I I will go one step further and say there are churches that almost boast in the fact that they don't have any stated membership in the church. That's what we said. This is what they'll say, by the way. Maybe you've heard this before. I, I wonder if you have. Well, church membership is not mentioned in the Bible. 
The Bible doesn't say anything about a, a particular local church membership. And this is where I'm going to begin with confession because I've, I've used that same phrase myself in different contexts because we obviously practice church membership here, but I've used that phrase in a different context. Church membership is never mentioned in the Bible. Friends, that's false and it's a ruse. <laughs> it's capitulation to American individualism rather than a surrender to what God's word really says. And I'm going to prove to you later how that statement is false. So keep that in your mind. So needless to say, we need a little bit of review. What is church membership anyway? Historically, this is review, but for many others, it may be new. I want to remind you that that in the early days of the church, there was a mark that you belonged to the church, and it was baptism. When things started out, baptism was the mark that you were part of the church. Now, there's some churches that say we'll baptize people, but they aren't church members unless they come and vote on the budget. But with all due respect, it's really foolishness that you won't find in the scriptures. Historically, baptism is what marked a person out as being part of the church. As sure as my wedding ring marks out that I'm married to Miss Amy. Biblically, when the scriptures say to the saints who are in Corinth or Ephesus or Thessalonica, that, that meant people who had been marked out, who had been baptized in front of people as witnesses of something that inwardly happened that couldn't be seen visibly. And so they're marked out by baptism with water. Baptism didn't save them, but it marked them out. Baptism initiated people into a church body in a particular location. So guess what? If I'm baptized in Corinth, I am numbered among those who are in Corinth, who are the saints, who are called here clearly a church. You see that in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Look at that text. It says, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. And this is why we probably would develop this point. I'm going to put this on the screen for you. Local churches, the local church, local churches are the visible demonstrations in the world of the life, the work, and the ministry of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. Local churches are the visible demonstrations they are what people see, as we talked about last week, of, of knowing one another by your love. Visible demonstrations in the world of the life, the work, and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Sir, if we would see Jesus. Well, Jesus is going to come back at the last day, and Jesus is made known in his word. But if people want to see Jesus... They need to see you, and they need to see us needing Jesus. It's an amazing statement. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body. We would, we would think at this point he would say, so is the church. But that's not what he says. He says, so also is Christ because church family, Christ is so in union, he's so united with his church, to speak of Christ, you speak of his church. And to speak of his church, you speak of Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
We haven't gotten there yet, but it's, it's coming when we come to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 14. Speaking of the Spirit, here's what Jesus will say. He says, he will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Disclose it, demonstrate it, show it to you. The Spirit is the spotlight, and he always puts the spotlight on Jesus Christ, not on himself. And so Paul can go on in verse 13 of our text and say this. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And I love the, the, the list he goes on here. Look at this. Whether Jews or Greeks. Wow. Paul just goes straight through the national pride of the Jew and the intellectual pride of the Greek who look down upon others who aren't as smart as them. God, with the sign of baptism by the work of the Holy Spirit, makes Jews and Greeks one. That's amazing. He says this, not only Jews or Greeks, but look at this, whether slaves or free. Now listen to me, despite political correctness, it was the Christian faith that broke down the bondage of slavery in the early world. You can prove that historically, by the way. Philemon, even a book that, that deals with it in the text. Now listen, it didn't do it by changing laws, but by changing hearts. If this person who is my slave is my brother in Christ, then I ought to treat that person as a brother and not a slave. It had the effect over time of saying an institution that had so much wickedness connected to it would be absolutely done. In fact, the very fact that in America, in a large settlement, and I'm sorry to say, but even in the Baptist community, specifically the Southern Baptist community, would condone slavery by saying that blacks were inferior to whites is an odious, wicked, and perverse heresy. And thank God we don't respect that stuff anymore and that we've actually repented of it as a denomination. But, but listen to me, this is why church is so radical, guys. You have people of different nationalities who would otherwise be at one another's throats like we see today with the Jewish people in the Palestine, right? They would be at one each other's throats like this. They are now transformed into brothers and sisters in Christ. Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, rich and poor. And that's amazing because, listen to me, the gospel, you see, saves people not on the basis of the color of their skin or their socioeconomic condition, but it saves sinners and makes them his children. And we were all made to drink one spirit. Just as in Israel, in the wilderness, they drank from the rock, which was a type of Christ, so historically, this is the understanding. Baptism marked out people as part of the church. Here's the bottom line in all this. You cannot understand the New Testament without a local, visible expression of the body of Christ. In other words, you cannot understand the New Testament without understanding the importance of local church membership. Those who are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who profess with their mouths and hopefully they believe in their hearts about Jesus being Lord, must be part of some local, visible expression of the body of Christ. In fact, you cannot understand the New Testament if they're not. And so let me give you some examples. I'm going to try and give you time to write these down. Uh, if I don't, forgive me and, and come, I'll give you my manuscript afterwards. You can listen to this on, on YouTube. Let me give you some examples about how you cannot understand the things in the New Testament without the local church. First off, 
if there's no local church, what about church discipline? How do you discipline? Let me explain church discipline to you. And by the way, the fact that I as a preacher feel compelled to say, let me explain church discipline to the New Testament church feels like it grieves the Lord because the Lord was very clear in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 that church discipline was to be placed in the church. So say you have this. As a Christian, right? As a Christian, you are denounced as a follower of Christ, that you follow the way of Christ, the teaching of Christ. When you say, I'm a Christian, that's what you say, is I align with Christ. I am one with Christ. Well, what begins to happen when someone says they're a Christian and then don't continues to do things that are opposite of what Christ desires and teaches in their life. I'm not talking about makes one mistake. I'm talking about continuing, ongoing, unrepentant sin in the life of a professed believer. What are you to do? Because you know what's happening in that sense? The world looks at that professed follower of Christ and says, well, look, this is what it looks like to follow Christ, that you're able to live in continual, unrepentant sin against him. God has given us something, by the way, to to combat that evil. And it's this, church discipline. Matthew 18, it's very simple. If someone's caught up in sin, you go to your brother in love with an aim to restore him to Christ and you bring forth his sin in front of him and you beg him in love and mercy and compassion to, to repent and trust in Christ. To repent of that sin. The Bible's clear if that man says no, I love my sin. I won't repent of it. I'll continue sinning. Then the Bible's certainly more clear. You take someone with you to go to that brother or sister who's caught in that continual, ongoing, unrepentant sin, and you say, please, we beg of you, repent. Repent and be reconciled to Christ because you cannot be a Christian and continue to live in ongoing, unrepentant sin. And if he refuses... He says, no, I choose my sin. I won't repent. I won't turn from it. I will sin. The Bible is utterly clear what must be done. It must be, this is Jesus' words, be brought before the church. And if it's not brought before the church, we're in sin. We're not following the way of Christ. And if in that moment it's brought before the church and that brother or that sister continues not to be repentant of living an ongoing, unconfessed sin, the Bible's clear. They are to be to you as an unbeliever for the sake of their own souls so that they would know that you cannot be a follower of Christ and live in continual unrepentant sin. It's clear. So let me ask you this question. If there's no local church, how do you do that? See, in in those texts, it assumes they're part of the church beforehand. How do you tell to the church that someone's going to be disciplined, or why would you even want to do that if they're not a part of your church? If someone's not a part of your body, and they're, they're walking in unfaithfulness, if they're wayward, if they're unfaithful to their spouse, and they're unrepentant about it, we must carry out church discipline on them. Now think of this. If they don't, they're not a part of our church. Are you kidding We're going to make an announcement of a person having violated the seventh commandment and he's not a part of the church? That's a lawsuit. (laughs) That won't take place today. It makes no sense of telling you to the church if the people are not a part of one. They don't belong to one. Here's another. If there's no local church, how do you submit to leaders? This one's awkward for me to preach, okay? But here's what it says. Hebrews chapter 13, 17. If there's no local church, how do you submit to leaders? 
do you submit to its leaders? Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Those who have authority over you. That assumes that you're part of a body of leaders and there are those who have been given authority and you've willingly committed yourself in submission to them. People will say, I don't care what church I go to, so-and-so will always be my pastor. Well, generally speaking, there might be someone who is faithful to be ministering to you, but biblically speaking, they don't have any responsibility over you if you're not part of their local church. Or turn it around. Those leaders must give an account for the souls that are under them. That's what that verse says. So yes, you have to obey and submit to the leadership of church. But guess what? I've got to give an account of every soul that's a part of my family. My job's harder, okay? I'm just going to say that to you right then and there. That's terrifying to me. That's where those nightmares come from at the beginning. I know it. These leaders must give an account for the souls that are under them. Now, Justin and I have a responsibility to see that everyone who comes through these doors is ministered to faithfully. We give an account for that. But individuals who are not a part of the body, I love you. Listen to me. We aren't officially required by God to give any account to people who are not a part of our local church. This is why we emphasize church membership. It's important. And just think about the realm of that command. If there were no local church body in Hebrews where it says, obey your leaders and submit to them, anyone that came up to you and said, I'm a Christian leader, you would biblically have to submit to. Not only that, but for us, if we were to give account over the souls of the church, if there is no local church, that means anybody who professes to be a Christian, we are to give account to and under the Lord. That's terrifying. No, it's not meant to be this way. There's a local church, and that is vital. Another example, if there's no local church, how do you elect officers? How do you elect officers? This is arguably, by the way, one of the greatest privileges you have as the church of Christ. You are the voice of Christ to call men to the ministry of elders and deacons. So how about this? Next August, when we're nominating deacons, this is what I'll do. I'll go down to downtown Fernandina Beach, and I'll stand in the middle of the square, and I'll just yell, hey, everybody, I want your attention. If you are a baptized believer in Christ, we're electing deacons and elders at First Baptist Church of Great Gables. We invite you to come have a say and have a vote. Well, that would be terrible. <laughs> be a terrible idea, right? They'd probably base somebody, uh, uh, their, their, their nomination on the looks of someone. And I'd hate to say that most of our deacons probably wouldn't be elected at that t- point in time. <laughs> no, that's not the case. Without the local church, there is no such thing as electing officers. You as a local church are supposed to. I want to I mention this next point to you. Um, something we mentioned about it earlier. I get this one a lot. I've already mentioned it, but church membership isn't mentioned in the Bible. But, but church membership, you say that, not a, it's not mentioned in the Bible. Well, once again, we've already looked at 1 Corinthians 12, 27, haven't we? Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. That is church membership. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be part of the body, individually members of it? Well, it means, first off, this. In the local church, there aren't any floating body parts. 
just like today where you wouldn't see floating body parts, right? Unless you're watching an old episode of The Addams Family. Uh, there, there is no such thing in real life as a floating body part. I don't walk around saying, hey, look, there's a thumb. Hey, thumb, you wanna help me out here? No, I'm not a part of your body. Okay, thumb. Think about it, it's just ridiculous. Just picture, if you would, a foot just hopping around, right? Just one singular foot hopping around. It has to be able to be part of the body in order to function within the body. Now listen, sometimes body parts die, they go home and they're with the Lord and God replaces body parts in different ways. Some body parts are transplanted and there's a process by which you translate those body parts into another body. Some bodies are added to the church. I don't know exactly what that image would be. It's not a prosthetic limb. It's a real limb where God gives a right hand to the church that needs it or some feet, but you still, it's still a part of the body and the parts are united within the body. The body, in other words, is not simply isolated parts. I'm gonna use some illustrations here. I think Paul's trying to be humorous in this, by the way. Paul's Paul's really doing this when he talks about the need of the body part to recognize one another. Let's say we live down Church Road and and we have a problem with our car and so we decide to go to one of the 30 auto parts stores in Callahan, right? You can go in, one grocery store, by the way, three or four auto parts stores. That just makes sense. Okay, you go in and you say, I want to see your auto parts. They say, sure, come on, we'll show you these auto parts. You walk in the back, and a man shows you a box of auto parts. And he says, this is our Ford F-150. And you would say, no, that's a box of parts, right? That's not an F-150, although it may work the same as an F-150, right? Uh, You're welcome for that. Um, You see, when, when people say, they don't need to be part of the church or part of the, part of the body. They're saying, I simply just need to be an auto part. That's ridiculous. There is a difference between an F-150 and a box of auto parts. Another one, my favorite, let's say you, you go up tomorrow because they're closed today and you decide to eat at the world's finest dining, finest dining establishment, the chicken house, right? Callahan Barbecue. And you say to Chef Danny, Chef Danny, oh, your chicken nuggets, my friend, are the best thing God ever created in the world, right? They're just absolutely delicious. How I'd love to see a plate of those chicken nuggets. And so Mr. Danny brings you to the back and he says, okay, here's a dead chicken. Here's a batter. Here's the frying oil. Here's our seasoning. There, that's our chicken nuggets. You'd say, no, it's not. Those are the ingredients of it. But the chicken house's chicken nuggets are more than just the sum of its parts. And so is the church. See how Paul is speaking of the church being a body here? There's another one here, I have to confess. Another issue that I think, I have to (laughs) to admit this. You may not realize this, but I I feel like I really have grown in patience over the years. Um, And I'm so happy that Miss Amy's in the nursery this morning. Because I can imagine... What that look would look like right now but a little bit okay a little bit i think i've grown in in patience there are some things which i must confess when i hear my, my blood pressure goes up the hair on the back of my neck goes up and i say oh god give me the fruit of the spirit which in it is self control when people say these words but i'm a member of the invisible church everything in me strains not to say okay then I'm going to provide you with invisible pastoral care. 
So when you're at the hospital and you need somebody to pray for you, just imagine that there's an invisible Obi-Wan type Kenobi sort of vision of me there, okay? And not only that, but when we take the Lord's Supper next time, we'll let you take part of the invisible Lord's Supper. We'll get one of our deacons to pretend like he's holding out the plate, right, so that you can pretend to eat it. Since it's invisible, it'll be like the movie Hook where they're all gathered around imagining food being there. It'll be bangerang. It's just gonna be fantastic. No, absolutely not because there are no invisible bodies in the church. The church is not invisible. No, that's why Paul uses this absolutely staggering language. As the body is one and it's not invisible and has many members, All the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. Now you are the body of Corinthians. Flesh and blood, Corinthians, men and women, boys and girls, individuals and families, and individually members of it. He's not talking about an invisible church here, are you kidding me? He's talking about a visible, local display of the ministry of Christ. A church, brother and sisters, like anybody or anything, is more than a sum of the parts. And I'm going to end with this point, because we talked a lot about the review here. We need this revival. I want you to be staggered with this, because as you go back to chapter 12, skipping the issues of, of tongues and prophecy and all that, primary revelatory gifts for this period, for another day we can deal with that text. In fact, I've, I've preached on the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12. You're welcome to look that up. I don't know if we have it, but I, you have that sermon. But think about this. Look at verses 4 and 6 of 1 Corinthians 12, and look what it says. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. You see what that says? The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God, but the heavens aren't going to tell you how you can be saved. But the same God who form those things, works in the body, empowering it. And that's what I want you to see. Revival here. The same God who forms the body, empowers the body. The same God who forms the body, empowers the body. Not to just show God in general, but because the Spirit's work is to make Christ known. The Spirit's work is to show the love of Christ, the willingness of Christ to get their hands dirty in ministering to people, the willingness of Christ to break un, uh, unbiblical tradition so he could reach down to the down and the outcast and save them, the perseverance of Christ who endured the cross and the cursed death of the cross so that we didn't have to endure it, the compassion of Christ who in his inmost being was wrenched. Jesus endured a, a pretty bad culture. It was terrible, in fact. When Jesus, get this, when Jesus looked out at the people who were supposed to be salt and light, you know what he did? He wept. It's the same way in our culture. Our people are supposed to be salt and light and power for the ministry of Christ, and they aren't. And Jesus didn't look down on that and just say, oh, this culture sure is going to hell. It wasn't like this back in my day. No, his guts are wrenched, and he weeps. See, see, the church is to show that. The church is to be a reflection of that. Not complaining about the culture, but weeping, knowing the only hope they have is Christ to change their hearts. You go on, and look what he says in verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
Then they give the different gifts that are all there. And then he says down in verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually just as he wills. In other words, in every neuron of the body known as the church, it's the Lord Jesus who by his spirit is at work. Every neuron of the body of Christ is a representation of the Holy Spirit working. That's why you don't dare depreciate the church. Well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. That's like coming up to me and saying, I love you, Pastor Cody, but I despise Miss Amy. And if you say that to me, I'm gonna find somebody to beat you up because I probably can't do it myself. No, it's, it's terrible. People that say that. What a wicked response to the bride of Christ. You love Jesus and you hate his church? Guess what? Then you don't love Jesus. It's that simple. Let me just end on this note when we come to it. I, I thought about this this week. The Roman Catholic Church has a doctrine called uh, mystici corporis, which describes the church body, the, the church corporate, as the mystical body of Christ. Rome sees that as basically the organization. You have the Pope and, and the Pope, people declared to be saints. You have the cardinals. That's what they say is the, is the body of Christ. What, what happens is Protestants will react to that and say, no, the church ain't no body of Christ. It's not the mystical body of Christ. Well, it's not in the way the church of Rome says it is. But this text teaches, and others do as well, that the church is exactly that. As an organism in its life, life that does take on forms, life that does call out elders, life that does work in elders and deacons, but in the church as an organism. Yeah, yeah, that is what people see of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you read in the upcoming week of the moral lapses of pastors who are struggling with sexual sin in our culture, you know what you do, church? You weep. When you read of a pastor who's at a protest with a sign that says God hates gays in the name of God, you weep. That's what the world sees as the church. No wonder sometimes the world wants to vomit. Instead, as we function as a church, as you function even today in your lunch fellowship, you interact in Sunday school, as you pray, as you partake in the Lord's Supper, and as you go your separate ways as part of the body, please, please, please live with that profound conviction that I am a church member. I and myself, individually, but also representatively of a huge body, am to live for Christ and show Christ to a lost and dying world. When people see me interacting with my brothers and sisters in the church I'm a part of, will they see Jesus? Or will they hear about how you could make that church better? Will they hear of all the brokenness that exists in church and all these people are messy, they get on my nerves and I just go, I really just go for my own time with Jesus. I don't care much for the people of God's church, I just go to get my worship on. Friends, then you're not getting your worship on. <laughs> We're to worship together as a family. And I love it today, because let me just tell you this. We have all kinds of families here for baby dedication. You know what I love seeing about these families? It's just a practical application. I love you, church. Hear me now. They're sitting together. Families are sitting together. 
You know why? Because they're families. Because they want to worship together. I know that's a, that's a nitpicky small thing, but friend, family member, do you really want to worship together? Or you want to slip out at the end of the service? You don't want to talk to anybody today. You're so hungry, you just got to get to lunch. Don't let me talk to anybody today. Don't let me come to, don't let me come to church and talk about Jesus. Part of Christ's body and individually members of it. We need a revival when it comes to church membership that we are in this together, that we worship together, that God would be glorified and shown to the world for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of men's hearts. I pray that's what you desire this morning. Remember that text. You are the body of Christ and individually, by the Spirit of God, members of it. Would you stand as we pray this morning? Lord Jesus, we sing it every week. I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who, who has sung that falsely, that Lord, you would, you would remind them of your compassion and grace and convicting their hearts and they would repent and they would truly be glad to be part of the family of God, part of the body of Christ. Lord, we thank you for our family time. We thank you for this time now where we can reflect on the things we've heard on, we've meditated upon, we've thought about. Lord, we need to be reminded of church. Thank you, Father, that your word even invites the opportunity for some sanctified humor. Lord, it's so silly to think that one part of the body would say it doesn't need another part, to say it's not connected to another part of the body. It's just silliness. Lord, we don't want to be condescending or patronizing when we deal with people who have different views, but Lord, please let us see that profound truth that as the body has many parts and yet is one, so is Christ. Father, your word is telling us what Paul did in Ephesians, that, that Christ is one flesh with his church. Lord, with many other things we are to be gripped with, we are to be thinking about, Lord, the reverence and reflection on this that God willing will do next week and the renewal of commitment will do in two weeks. Let us begin right now and right here with a revival of our appreciation of the church as the body of Christ. That we would have a, a renewed spirit and a fresh revival of that love that we can say we are church members. God, teach us to rejoice in that statement. I am a church member. And by your grace, help us to live in the light of reality. It would bring us joy to say it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, family member, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord, then, then listen, you're not, you're not part of any church, invisible or visible, and you need to hear this. You were born in your sin, rejecting the holy creator God, rebelling against him. You love your sin, you live for it, it controls you, you are a slave to your sin, and you need someone to save you from it. Your purpose was to live for, for the Lord who created you to bring glory to him. And so God did something you can never do. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on your behalf. His son, who is perfect, who uphold every word that he ever wrote. 
His law was perfectly kept by Jesus and God put Jesus on the cross and he crushed his own son whom he loved so that you could have his right standing and he could take your sinfulness and pay the just penalty for it. Friends, it's grace. If you've never experienced the grace of Christ, I pray that you'd heard it this morning. I pray that you would repent and say, I no longer want to be king of my own life. I no longer want to run things the way I think is best. I want to bow a knee to the Savior Christ and I want to follow him that you've repented and by faith and it's finished work on the cross, you'd be saved this morning. I pray that if you're here and you've never done that, you'd have that opportunity now. I'll be down front. We'll have a short time of just singing a reflection of song and I'd love if you're not a Christian to share the gospel with you today. But friends, this is primarily a series for the church. And as you reflect on what is said and what is preached from the word of God today, I pray that your hearts would be pierced with the word you be convicted and if there's anything you need to be made right with God and his side of when it comes to how you've treated church family when it comes to how you viewed this place and these people it's an opportunity for repentance and I pray that you would take advantage of that that it's it's God's grace convicting your heart this morning whatever the Lord calls you to do for his word's sake I pray that he does it as we sing and reflect now